You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of Scout, formerly of 24-7, now all of Locked On. Um, We still have, uh, there's been so much going on. I have so much random stuff right now in the can to use. I have my interview with uh, Javi from Locked On Padres. You'll be hearing this week. It happened after the Snell trade. We still have some more of the Lindor trade to talk about. I still have the second half of my podcast talking about why the uh, the Rays and the Indians could make sense and talking about some trades. And I think, depending on how long today's show goes, the second half of the show might be that second half. It was promised for Friday. I had the whole cutoff and save of uh, why... You know, to listen in, I did the whole tease, and then the trade happened, and everything went out the window. So now we've had a few days. Let's let's get back into this trade. Had a chance to look around, see others' takes on it. Uh, you know, it's the overall view is it's it stinks that it has to occur, but it's not the worst return. It is interesting to see how these prospects are graded, and I think some of the value comes down to here's the thing. Every one of these players is an eye of the beholder type. That's always the way it is with unproven talent. Andres Jimenez is clearly the centerpiece. Uh, there's been some talk that, you know, it, he was rushed from double A to the majors. Let's just get that out there. And he was rushed partially because Ahmad Rosario had been so ineffective. Uh, in 2019 in AA, you're looking at a 105 WRC+. plus. He was 21 years of age. So a little below... Um, the age per level, not like a huge gap, not un, you know unheard of. The previous year at age 20, he had debuted up there and had had 153 at-bats, so he had had a decent amount of at-bats. So in 2019, the 479, so people, okay, let me clarify. So I said he was rushed. He wasn't rushed. People out there saying he was rushed. Uh, he had a lot of, a lot of guys skip AAA now. There's a lot of organizations that don't really bother with that as more than a place to keep some depth. Now, that might change with the way the minors are changing and the fact they've gotten rid of some of those lower minors, but that's that's how it had been. And, you know, he repeated and spent a whole season in double A. So at that point in time, uh, you know, an organization like the Indians, likely he would have been up to triple A in 2019 and him getting time in the majors in 2020 was not uh, not that big of a surprise. I I read specifically in uh, one of the local Cleveland player papers talking about the that he was rushed to the majors. He wasn't. Um, I wanted to use that terminology because I think it's important to spend the time and to look at these guys and to realize, you know, just don't take what you read at face value. Yes, he did go from double A to the majors, but he went to double A to the majors after having uh, 600 plate appearances in double A and with triple A not mattering the way it did you know, even 10 years ago, Jimenez is what he is. Uh, I think he is going to be a strong defender. I think he will not, he will be in line with Lindor defensively. Offensively, you're hoping for league average. I was reading through some other people. I thought it was interesting. Keith Law had the exact same comp as I did. It's just, it's an easy comp. Um, And I'm not saying that he copied my comp. No, it is an easy comp. That is why Keith had it in his. It is why it immediately came to me. Jimenez looks like Jose Iglesias. The profile just matches up so well. There are those who talk about, you know, it's a quick bat and this and that. We'll see. There hasn't been a lot of things in the minors. Like the bat pips have been pretty good and, but not spectacular. 
Uh, a 318 is well above average, but it's not, you know, when I'm looking for that guy who I think the bat pip is a really high range and is showing a, a plus hit tool uh, relative to level, I'm looking typically more like 340 and higher um, just based on my own previous, uh, what I've looked at. And yes, he had a 340 and high A in 2018, but the 318 range over his minor league career, uh, you know, it could show that there's a little bit more there maybe. It could show that the hit tool could be coming because he has been young for the level, and but it could also show he has really good speed, uh, which we do know about him as well. He just doesn't he doesn't walk a lot, and that's that's an issue as well, and that's going to make it hard to figure out uh, an offensive profile that is successful. There's not a lot of power there. Um, it just all comes together that I think, you know, if he can be like through the minors, his his runs created plus was a 105. Uh, most players tend to see that number dip when they get to the majors, unsurprisingly. And then there's guys like Lindor where that number jumps. I don't know why that was in his case, but when you're looking at this specific player in this specific situation, we're hoping for a 95 WRC plus. I think that's what you're aiming for. Just barely below the average with above average defense. And I know that's not the most exciting thing, but I, that's what I feel comfortable projecting. Uh, I don't see some of the people who are really high on him or think that like the power is going to come or things like that, that there's just not in-game power. Um, he just, and he doesn't have the build where I expect that you're betting on that bat speed producing more. And I don't see it. Maybe I'll end up being proven wrong, but uh, you know, he's a solid low floor should step right into shortstop. I've seen that talk that like, and you know, again, the Cleveland paper I had talked about, well, he could start the year in the minors I don't see a point to it. Yes, Rosario, there is a lot. I mean, the point is messing with the service time, right? That that certainly is always a possibility that Rosario could start at uh, shortstop at the start of the year, and then you gradually bring him and as up. They have an excuse to do it. Let's put it that way. It may not be necessarily the right way to go with him, but, you know, he they could have an excuse to have him start the year to delay and get uh, get another year of service out of him. It certainly could happen, and they have the excuse, well, he never played in AAA, and they're feeding that story clearly to reporters in the Cleveland area. So, you know, there's a, there's a better-than-average chance he starts the year in AAA just to mess with service time. They're already kind of laying uh, everything out for that to occur. So keep that in mind. Uh, if he starts the year in the minors, it's just a mess with service time. That, that's all it is. Uh, and again, they're telling that information to reporters to help set that situation up. And it's not, I mean, if you run a team, it kind of makes sense, right? Like more years of control. That's always the thing. If you are in charge of the Indians, you have to manipulate the system to your advantage. So if you have someone like Jimenez uh, and he starts the year in AAA and Rosario is going to be your shortstop to start the year and we'll see what they do with this extra money. Uh, that same article um, by Terry Pluto talked about that there's, you know, they, they would like to bring back Cesar Hernandez with some of the money they saved. And then all of a sudden, yeah, that does make some sense. And you can see if, you know, will Rosario go the Jason Donald route and just be a stopgap who never really turns into anything or will he turn into a super utility guy which is what we thought jose ramirez would become uh before he turned into an mvp candidate i don't know uh it was interesting looking at dan uh, zaborski at fan graphs that his zips projection 
basically has uh, Rosario for the next three years, which is how long the Indians would control him, being worth two wins a year or just shy, and his OPS plus being just right around 100. So basically the definition of average uh, up the middle, which is valuable and would be very valuable if they can figure out a way to uh, to use him in a, a super utility role. Um, to use him as a potential outfielder down the line could happen. And we'll see. It is He is the second piece in this deal. And the tools that were there and some you know sneaky power, he was viewed as a plus hit tool, plus defender at shortstop, who was going to you know hit close to 300, double-digit home runs, and uh, be a you know a, a plus defensive player. Uh, that's an all-star profile. That's uh, you know it, trying to think who I would compare it to. Uh, it's weird because you think about shortstops. A lot of them are either plus plus or they're kind of down lower. It's you know there's you know there's guys like Lindor and Baez and Story and the like, uh, Seager, and then you know you have the guys like Marcus Simeon who had the high year. But there's not kind of that in-between, but uh, at least I'm not thinking of someone right now. But I think that was the hope, was kind of that in-between level for someone like Rosario. So we'll see. Um, but that's kind of the view right now, is that he, you know, there's this chance, Jimenez, they mess with the service time. He starts the year in AAA. Rosario starts it short. They sign someone to play second. And then eventually Rosario moves to the, uh, you know, kind of a super utility role. I can tell you right now, we're already going long just rediscussing the trade because it is such a big trade and kind of getting the few days later look at it. I think we are going to save that second half of the talk about the Rays for another day. Uh, we will talk about the prospects, and depending on the prospect talk, uh, we'll maybe put the Rays at the end. But if not, we're just going to talk about these two prospects, look at them in terms of where they're ranked, where they're projected, what their issues are. Uh, and just talk about their relative draft positions and how much they cost to sign. We have two fantastic sponsors today on the show. Built Bar, you know them, you love them. Uh, if you haven't tried them yet, I don't know what more I can tell you other than the fact that this is the sponsor that I use daily. It is uh, a constant for me. I went and got the can- uh, candy cane fudge and a mixed box. I always say go with the mixed box. Uh, you can't go wrong. So many flavors. You'll find one that you really like and you'll find a wide variety just in there in general. And the great thing about Built Bars, they're always trying to get better. They are the uh, the prospect with the high ceiling just because of work ethic. The first time we got a product from them, it was great. I enjoyed it. I, I bought more. But then over the summer, they, they redid their whole brand of the Built Bar uh, boosts, of their bars, and everything is even better now. It just keeps getting better. So if you tried them before, or you haven't tried them all, now's the time to get in. Go check it out. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. Get 20% off. That is the best savings you will find anywhere for their product. And it's just a fantastic product. They have so many um, items there, and they're adding more things all the time. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. Our other fantastic sponsor is BetOnline.ag. Uh, the playoffs are happening in football. We got that going on. The basketball season is well in. You got college basketball. There are so many things going on right now. If you are someone who is looking for a place to go gamble, if you're going to, you know, you have the knowledge and the skills to take advantage of this, it's a crazy time. I think if you are knowledgeable uh, and you have that ability, now is probably the best time ever to gamble on sports because of the craziness. And there is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. We, As mentioned before, you've got all those playoff games, 
all of college basketball, so many sports, so many ways to look. I went and looked on there. I mean, I was blown away. You can find just about any sport, anything you want. BetOnline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at BetOnline underscore AG to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and use the promo code LOCKEDON for your sign-up bonus. Hashtag BetOnline. And don't forget about Lockdown Bets. It's time to start the year fresh and with a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Lockdown Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. So let's talk about these two prospect pieces that are coming to the Indians. Um, again, almost universally, I didn't see anywhere where they slotted into the Indians' top 10 prospects. That's just the truth of it, okay? So they added two prospects, two extreme risks, neither of which slot into their top 10. Uh, Fangrass has them not even slotting in their top 20 prospects. So I think that's also worth noting. So why are these guys far down the list? Well, let's just talk about these players in general. So Josh Wolf uh, was pick 53 in the draft. He was viewed as a top 60, top 40 guy, depending where you looked. I was not as high on him. I'd have to go pull up my list. Um, I am high school pitcher averse in general. And when I kind of look at someone like Wolf, he's the guy I avoid in general. Uh not an ideal frame, uh, a delivery that has some issues. There were a lot of things that stood out that just targeted him as high risk. Now, the slot value for that was 1.3, and he got 2.15. So while he was a second-round pick, he was paid more like a first-round pick. Now, it's also fair to point out that in the third round, they took Matthew Allen, who I had as, I believe I still had as the number one prep pitcher in that class and he got 2.5 so they took him at the 89th slot were able to get him to slide down uh, and they paid him you know more than they paid uh, Wolf so Wolf was 2.15 Allen was 2.5 that does show the value disparity between those two players uh, in terms of I mean you can just see that I mean the, you can pretty much rank value based on how much they sign for because it is a closed system if you go too far over slot you lose draft picks so you are giving you know, you're finding that potential, you know, how does a, how can we get these players? What is the minimum I can sign this player and get them in so I can use that money on someone else? And, you know, the thing with Wolf, it, Wolf is that he's got a you know, fastball that could get up to 97. And I, I want to say it was the slider was the secondary pitch. It's a weird, del- no, it was a curveball. That's what it was. It was a curve. And the changeup was really far down. Uh, we'll see what the Indians can do. There's some talk that they might work on his delivery, try to clean it up a bit, see if there's a bit more um, consensus. When I looked at other places, is most agree with me. Like he is 80, 90%, 80, 90% of his, of his percentiles of his outcome as reliever. Like this is a guy who's a reliever who is who had eight innings in the minors, I want to say, when he was drafted in 2019. So he's basically had two years of almost no minor league time. He's still four years away, three years away, especially if they're going to revamp his whole uh, 
his delivery. We'll see. Uh, the Indians have had success with with guys like him, undersized guys, non traditional deliveries, and they've found more. Um, they've actually they've had success with that type of guy, but they also have not. We have not seen them. You go through and you look at their current pitchers, the guys they have developed who have come through the system: Bieber, Savali, Plesac were all college arms. McKenzie was a high school arm, but he was the big, safe guy who didn't have great stuff, good athlete. They have not had, we'll have to see like how Hankins and Torres and some of those other guys develop, but a lot of the prep guys that they gave six-figure bonuses over the last decade have flamed out, never even got to the big leagues. So we'll see. Wolf is a huge risk. Um, I, you know, I know talking with, with Aram on the show, like he thought he could eventually slot in the top 10. I just don't see it because I think, again, he is... He's a reliever. I I have a hard time seeing him as anything else because the delivery is is an ideal. The that it's he doesn't necessarily have the big starter build, and that third pitch was so far away. Um, it, there's you know he's one of those guys that people look at and say a future injury is is almost a hundred percent likely. Like you know how I said that about Espino. We'll see if I'm right or wrong. There's some room for comparison between Wolf and Wolf being like a lesser version of Espino. Um, at least Espino's pitches were much better, and he had all three of them. But there's some ground. When you look at Espino, you look at Torres, you look at Wolf. Now, none of these guys have obviously been successful yet because they've all been recent draft picks. But there is a type, and, and Wolf fits that type. And it's something the Indians feel like they can do, they know. Uh, so you have to have some degree of faith with that because when it comes to pitching development, they know better than me. They know better than pretty much everyone, so we will see. Now let's talk Isaiah Green. Uh, Isaiah Green was a compensation pick for the loss of Zach Wheeler. So technically a second-round pick, but that's why he is a second-round pick who's the 69th overall pick. This, he was, let's see, MLB ranked him as the 62nd player in the draft, and he went 69th. I think it is interesting that he went for under slot. You know, that uh, as a player who's valued higher, according to MLB, now again, they aren't the gospel on this, uh, that he was under slot. He allowed them to save uh, $80,000 so they could sign another player. And, you know, the Indians in, at the end of round two for a comparison piece, they took, I believe, Logan Allen there, right? Yeah. So they took Logan Allen for $1.13 million. Uh, Again, according to the Pluto piece, the Indians viewed green as a second slash was it a first slash second round talent? I can't remember. Or second slash third round talent. I have a hard time believing that because if they really viewed him as a second round talent, they could have offered him more money to get him to slide. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, Logan Allen was the 56th pick. They gave him $1.3 million. They came back in the third round. And again, this is this is how you manipulate the draft. This is what the Mets did with Matthew Allen, where they got Matthew Allen in the third round and not gave him 2.5 because other teams knew I'm, you, you're not going to spend a high pick on a player you can't sign. Like if, if they tell you, no, I'm not taking that amount, you're not going to draft that player and risk losing that pick. That's just how this works. No one holds a player over a barrel uh, in these situations. That never happens. So the Indians come back in the third round, uh, pick number 95, and they take P.D. Halpin, who was 76th on the MLB board. 
and they give him 1.53 million. That is 900,000 over slot. That's more, that's basically two and a half times the value for that position. Also a center fielder um, from California. And just in terms of humor of this with all these California center fielders, remember the Mets and part of the reason they need to save money with that second round pick is that they took Pete Crow Armstrong, gave him full slot in the first round. Uh, again, another center fielder, California high school kid. He got $3.36 million. So we're talking the Mets back-to-back California high school kids, and then the Indians got the next California high school center fielder who was kind of in that grouping of three uh, there in the third round. There are people who love Green's approach, and he had a great summer, and then he didn't look great out of the gate. And there are people who are saying that his entire swing needs to be redeveloped. That's the same thing we said about Will Benson back in the day, and obviously that hasn't gone well. We will see. Uh, I mean, Green has huge tools, huge tools, uh, mostly with his speed and like the strong approach at the plate. The Indians have had no luck in pretty much ever in developing guys like uh, Isaiah Green. That does make me a little bit nervous. Like he is a, a total lotto ticket, but a lotto ticket who is going to a team that does not figure these types out. You know, it's this guy, he had a, a, a bad junior year, then he had a great summer to get him back up. Uh, the The swing is something that he's, like I said, some people think it's going to have to be completely redeveloped. Uh, good hand-eye coordination, one of those guys who, good eye at the plate. Everything works out. I mean, if you don't redevelop the swing, there's going to be no power to it. It's it's there's just not. He's going to be a slap hitter, uh, but that could potentially work if his on base skills are good enough. He's raw, and he's already 19. He was an older outfielder, but again, as I mentioned on the podcast from last week, that's actually a, a sign to me in his favor. When the Indians go against like a player so much, they're going to go against a well-established type that stands out. When they go out and get an Isaiah Green uh, in a trade, even though he is technically one of those guys who was a little bit older for his class, that in the future, like if he hadn't signed, his birthday is the end of August. With the way they are shifting the draft, I'd have to see when the signing uh, deadline is going to be, if it's still the end of July. But he might have been a draft-eligible sophomore in two years, just based on where his birthday is. So the Indians clearly liked him a lot. Huge risk. So they took... A really, the centerpiece is the safest shortstop you could maybe find out there with the most control. The secondary piece is a failed prospect. The Indians love those guys whose value is down. They love to buy low. And then two shoot-the-moon prospects, both of which are about four years away. And one of which they have not yet shown they can develop that type, but they have been accumulating that type of player. And the other being something that they have just been completely unable to develop, which is toolsy outfielders. And they've spent a ton of high picks on toolsy outfielders. You know, recent Quentin Holmes comes to mind, who's not dissimilar from Isaiah Green in terms of profile, who was their second round pick, who was never figured out. Or Will Benson, uh, who was the first round pick, a high pick, who was never figured it out. And they have struggled to get these guys even to double A effectively. So we'll see. It's that's that's part of my concern. It's for whatever reason, they have not been able to develop players like this. So you're taking a gamble on a player who is already a huge gamble, and that player is someone that you have literally 
not developed any one of his like since. And if you're out there saying Grady Sizemore, it's like, well, he had already been, remember, he was part of the Lee trade. He had already been effective in low A. Uh, so who's that last toolsy outfielder they developed? I, we can talk about that list I mentioned, but remember, they essentially have not developed a toolsy outfielder in 20 years. Uh, is it someone like Manny Ramirez? Is that the last prep outfielder who they were able to figure out uh, and get things together with? Was Richie Sexton a high school, but he was a first baseman before he uh, only playing outfielder because he had to. Brian Giles, who was drafted in the, the 80s, it's not good. Uh, and is that, and now am I looking at something, and this is, you know, uh, correlation data and not causative data, maybe, but at the same time, they've drafted a ton of players. There was a stretch where they drafted nothing but outfielders high, uh, and college or high school, it didn't matter. It didn't work. Now, maybe you say Clint Frazier. Like, he had turned it around in double A. Uh, before they traded him off. That's what allowed his value to get there. And and that's probably your best candidate. That is honestly the guy where you hope that that is a developmental path uh, that they can figure out and use. The downside is you say they haven't figured that out for anyone else. Uh, all those other high picks, none of them have been able to replicate and be successful. So we'll see. Um, general consensus, it's a, it's an okay trade. Uh, it the, For the Mets, it's a fantastic trade because Carrasco... Uh, yes, he is 34 and he just had cancer and that is scary for teams, but at, if he pitches well, it's a $15 million option for next year. That is, that's nothing. That's, that's a deal for a starter. And right now, Carrasco easily slots into probably their number two role, even ahead of Stroman for that team. And it's a, it's a cheap contract if you have the money to do it. And yes, there is more risk due to age and due to his, his past, uh, issue with cancer and he has not been like a workhorse starter he's been more of like a 160 170 inning guy but you're getting at 15 million a year remember uh look what mike minor got <laughs> look what what morton got look what some of these free agent starters have gotten uh and it's more than what carrasco will make these next two years it's it's a sweetheart deal for the mets adding carrasco it gives them just another arm and it allows them to you know move of Seth Lugo to the pen or Robert Gesselman to figure out. I mean, they now have some good depth, and it just gives them more. Of course, Lindor's a star. This is a slam dunk for them. They traded two guys, neither of which had managed to nail down the shortstop spot for one of the best shortstops in the game. And then they trade two prospects who are the back end of their weak minor league system, who are complete lottery tickets, who aren't going to help in the next four years. Unlikely to help. Definitely not in the next three years. Uh, for uh, a starter who's near the top, uh, you know, uh, last year was one of the top 15 starters by multiple uh, metrics and still has swing and miss stuff. Uh, he still has the ability to miss bats even at his age. So you combine all that together. And I mean, for the Mets, it's, it's a no-brainer, right? I, they made a fantastic deal. It's an A-plus deal for the Mets. It's a team that has everything set up to be tough, to contend, and for the Indians, it's a solid like B minus. You know, they got very two very interesting prospects, huge risks, and they got a very safe shortstop who should be their starter there for the next ten years. And what am I saying? Next ten years? Uh, unless they give him an extension, five years, four years, something like that. They got they got a shortstop for the uh, for the next few uh, before they have to trade him as well. And, you know, we'll see. It's it's hard. It's really made me sad with baseball. It's just, I, 
it was such a fun run. We just got through one of the best runs of Cleveland Indians baseball in the history of the franchise. It's pretty much from when Lindor came up and that core of that team from when Tito came in, 2013 to 2020, that seven-year run is... That is up there with, you know, the 40, late 40s to early 50s. It is there for the, you know, the, the teens and the 20s. It's up there with the 90s. Uh, it's, it's one of the four to five best runs in the organization's entire time. And, you know, just a little bit more luck or not having Michael Martinez on your postseason roster, for Christ's sake. Maybe they get that World Series and maybe the shine on all of this is different and maybe fans support a little bit more and... You know, it's not all on the fans, but it, maybe there's someone else who's interested in being a minority owner, which is a hard thing for them to find uh, currently. You know, maybe that there's a little bit more cash infusion. Who knows how much things shift? But we are where we are, and one of the greatest players in the history of the franchise is gone. One of the greatest players in terms of, you know, just productive pitchers and guys who love Cleveland. Like Carrasco kept signing ridiculously team-friendly contracts because he wanted to be here. And it's he still ended up being traded away because that that's what it is. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked on Indians podcast. Remember to rate and review, download daily, uh, tell a friend. All that stuff really helps out. Uh, thank you for listening. And as always, go Tribe.